From Relay FM and live in Memphis, Tennessee, this is Upgrade, episode 102. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined across the table by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. We're here in the uh, in the home of, uh, well, we're not in the home right now, the home city of Mr. Stephen Hackett, co-founder of Relay. It's yep. Relay Birthday Week. This is the second anniversary of Relay, and we're coming up on the second anniversary of Upgrade. Yep. And uh, and so that's a little celebration. You guys uh, spend the week here in Memphis, and uh, I, I I crashed the party for a couple of days, which yeah, is we've fun. got uh, some blue sky thinking to do this week about the company. You know, we're really yeah. kind of uh, I think we're going to whiteboard ocean. it. We're going to work yep. it out. We're going we're gonna to do some. We're going to do some trust falls. We're going to do some other uh, kind of corporate uh, yep. uh, brainstorming exercises. We're going to build a tower out of popsicle sticks, mm-hmm. and then we're going to destroy it. Oh, we've both done stuff like that over the years. Yeah, we, I know, Corporate seriously. Corporate team building. Absolutely. And Stephen, so Stephen Hackett uh, is our engineer today and not present because he's totally lost his voice. Mm-hmm. So it's just us. So yeah, it's Real AFM's birthday this week. On the 18th, we turn two years old, which is actually probably good for uh, our first piece of follow-up. Um, we've mentioned before the Real AFM membership. The Real AFM members feed is now available. If you are a member, you will have gotten an email about this. Um and if you sign up in the uh, welcome email, you'll get a link to an RSS feed, which will include a selection of members-only content mm. over the next couple of weeks. Um, so there's some stuff out there. Is uh, As we speak today, Connected and Bonanza, we have two episodes there. And later on this week, we have an absolute barnstormer of a special <laughs> yeah. where we combined Upgrade and Cortex to do a text adventure. Actually, at the end of the show today, we put a trailer together. Oh, great! Um, I'll I'll play I'll, I'll play out the episode of a trailer so you can kind of see what you're going to get. Um, if you are a member, you'll get this feed. And when this show comes out, I think we're going to post that one on Thursday. Um, but if you sign up before or after, you'll still get the feed and you'll be able to get all of them. And trust me, you really, really want the Cortex upgrade special. Yes, I get to be. Uh, that's me. Uh, acting as sort of your referee almost yep frustrating you and gray in your attempts to navigate the old west yep jason is the computer and me and gray have to work together on the adventure Mm -hmm. it's it's really really fun so that will be available i'll put a trailer at the end of the show so you can kind of get a feel for what that's like uh you were on the talk show last week a little follow-out and it was a really great episode, as always. I always love it when you're on that well, show. Well, you had a long flight, so you had enough time to listen to it as you crossed the Atlantic. It was another... Gruber said to me, oh, it's not going to be one of those two-and-a-half-hour deals. And it wasn't. It was like 2.20. So, you know, a slightly shorter. Short show. Just short show. In. Yeah, I I, uh, I enjoy especially that show when I'm on long trips because it, it fits quite nicely. But yeah, you and John are always good together. It was fun, yeah. It's always always a blast to talk to him, and we do. I, I think we do all seriousness uh, intend to not talk for two and a half hours. But I I so infrequently see him. I see him at Apple events, and we don't. We're all so busy, we don't get a chance to talk for very long. And then we get on on Skype, and it just yeah, it just goes because it's a, it's fun to talk to him, and um and it it was a good we had a good time. I tried very hard to not steer the uh, conversation toward baseball as often happens because I know a lot of tech people. Uh, don't want to hear about sports stuff, so I decided to talk about my clicky keyboard because I know that he likes clicky, clicky keyboard. So we talked about that for a while, and then of course, as soon as we were done with that, John brought up baseball. So if you don't like keyboards and baseball, I suggest uh, it's it's really less than two hour podcast. You can just skip over the first half hour, and you'll you know you'll still get us talking about Apple and other tech stuff, and not the keyboards and the baseball. 
Hey, Jason, why don't we talk about keyboards and baseball? Okay, let's do that. Um, <laughs> we went to a baseball game yesterday. We did. We did. <laughs> so Stephen Hackett famously doesn't like baseball and has programmed the, the uh, Relay Slack to uh, react to the word baseball or the baseball emoji with America's boring pastime. Um Took us to a baseball game, which is an interesting. My first. It was a yeah. It's minor league. It's Triple A uh, Pacific Coast League. It's the uh, the Memphis Redbirds, which are the affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals. And we went to their their ballpark, and it was pouring rain at various points. But we were inside. We were actually sort of at the bar that is overlooking home plate, right behind home plate. And I got to explain some baseball things to you. And I got a ball. And you got a ball. So as soon as we arrived. Uh, a ball flew into the stands where we were entering, um, and I was able to grab it. And so now I have a baseball you from were, my first ever baseball game. You were concerned that you were not allowed to pick it up, I or thought that I you had would to have throw to throw it back. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was scared that if I threw it, like I was scary, it, and it would just stop that English man, like three, yeah. three kind of seats in front of me, and I'd look like it's a fool, and everyone would laugh. But no, no you get to keep it. You get and now to keep I have it. one, and it has dirt on it and everything. It's a great souvenir of your first baseball game to have a baseball, a minor league baseball. So we did that. Um, I also was admiring your, so you have, and I hadn't seen it before, you have the Logitech mm-hmm. 9.7 inch Create keyboard for your 9.7 inch iPad Pro. I do. And I uh, have written a couple articles. I've been focusing on the 12.9. I have both models, but um, I use the 12.9. That's sort of my iPad. And so I've been focusing on keyboards for that. And a lot of the keyboards of the of the of the 12.9 iPad, the problem is the surface area of the iPad screen is enormous, which is great. It's not a problem. I love that screen. But it means that any accessory that is going to act as a cover and cover that screen is huge. Mm-hmm. And every added little bit of thickness makes it bulkier. Uh, and so as a result, most of the keyboards that are made for the 12.9 inch Pro are kind of too much. And what I found with the smart keyboard on the 9.7 is that it was much less bulky. It was a much more attractive product. And then I saw your Logitech keyboard and I don't like the Logitech create. I think it's kind of too much for the um, the 12.9, but yours is, is it's really kind of adorable. It's really great. So when I first got it and I was talking about it on Connected last week, I was really unsure about it um, because it adds a lot of thickness and a lot of weight to what is a very portable device. Mm -hmm. But I have fallen madly in love with it. Uh, the keyboard on this thing is a joy to use. The, the, the smart keyboards are very practical. Yeah, they're It's functional. a keyboard that is always <laughs> attached and it works. But this is an actual keyboard that I'm used to typing on. It's more akin to a MacBook keyboard. Yeah, but it's not aping the MacBook keyboard design nope. like the 12.9-inch Create keyboard, which I kind of appreciate, I think. And and it's very typable, even though it's a, a much smaller uh, area that all those keys have to be jammed into. That I think they did a good job. That the keys, not only are they real keys, but they, uh, it, it, I thought it was pretty enjoyable to type on it. They're backlit, yep. which the is really nice. Is is one of the main reasons that I'm going to be sticking with this because I'm able to use it at night, and that is a big thing for me. And we were saying yesterday, you know, so often we say things for the podcast, but you know, we're actually in each other's presence, so we have conversations that are mm-hmm. not recorded. It's strange, podcasters. But it tends to be the same stuff that we talk about on the show, anyway. Yeah, it is. That's your real bonus episode: is to just stand near us while we're having a conversation. <laughs> That's next year's members' book. <laughs> yeah, you get to hang around, Jason. We, we're and Mike. Just, we just give you the address of a street corner. We'll be talking there. If you'd like to come by, you you can listen in on that conversation. But we were talking about about the percentage of time that you use your iPad in a keyboard uh configuration 
And this struck me as being one of the reasons why maybe our takes on this are a little bit divergent, yep. is that I pro- you said, what, 90% of the time your iPad is in a keyboard? Yeah. Uh, whenever I'm using my iPad, it is pretty much always in landscape mode with a keyboard attached to it. I don't know why that is. It just is. Like, even when I'm reading stuff like Twitter and stuff, that's how I have it. I have it in landscape, usually in split view, even on the 9.7, because split view works when you have a keyboard attached. Split view right. doesn't work on the 9.7 when using the software keyboard because you get 25% of the apps, right? Like, you get just the top corners, but it really <laughs> works with the keyboard. So I tend to have it in that configuration. And it's just because that's how it stands. Like, this thing, it's really stable with the keyboard attached to it, more so than the smart keyboard. Yeah. And plus, it's got the pencil loop in it as well. But yeah, I, right. I tend to have my iPads in their keyboards. And for me, although I am a landscape iPad user, mm-hmm. for sure, um, most of the time, unless I'm reading a comic or something like yeah. that, or maybe a long article, I'll I'll have it in landscape. In portrait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I'm reading a comic yeah, yeah. or or an article, I'll be in portrait. in portrait. Otherwise, I'm in landscape. I'm always in landscape. But I have the keyboard attached less than 10% of the time, maybe 5% of the time. Really, unless I'm writing an article, I don't use a keyboard, which is why having an external Bluetooth keyboard and a stand really works well for me is because it's a special occasion mm-hmm. to break out the keyboard. And um, and so I think that is the source anyway of our of our maybe our different take on this is everybody's different. Everybody's going to have that percentage of time where they want to use the iPad with a keyboard. And if it's a high percentage, then you're willing to make more trade-offs. Now that the Logitech Create 9.7 it is fairly easy to pop it out of there. I think oh, easier than on the twelve point nine. I think it they pops learned out a lot incredibly easily. They learned a lot of lessons after they made that twelve point nine. This this nine point seven is not just a knockoff short small version of the twelve point nine. I think it is everybody who designed that product learning from the criticism of it and yep. making it better because it, it, it's better in all those ways. So you you pop it out and then you've got the the naked iPad. But it, it's a uh, yeah yeah it's uh, I I'm impressed by it. I'm not sure whether. Yeah, I, I you don't I, have a nine seventy. I have a loaner from Apple that I expect that they're going to want back at some point soon. But I've held on to it because I I'm running iOS ten on it and not on my the one that I bought the twelve point nine that I bought. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, my I I if I had a nine point seven, I I think I would probably get it. I'm I'm impressed by it. A uh, little bit of follow-up. Friend of the show, Jeremy Budge uh, of Emojipedia, has started a podcast called The Emoji Wrap. Um, there's just like a trailer episode right now. But I'm suggesting people subscribe to this show because we talk about emoji a lot. Emoji is very interesting. And Jeremy is very connected to the emoji world. Like he's on the Unicode committee. Yeah, he's on the emoji subcommittee. So, so yeah. from talking to him, I know he's got some interesting people lined up. So if you are interested in Emoji at all, I recommend uh, subscribing to the Emoji Wrap. And of course, you will find a link to that uh, in our show notes. And I'm very excited about it. And the artwork is amazing. It is a microphone in a burrito wrap, uh, which with, is with brilliant. A, with a smiley face on the microphone. Naturally. So go give it a shot. Um, Jeremy's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And last piece of follow-up today. Do you remember uh, many weeks ago we were talking about the rainbow Apple Watch nylon band? The yeah, Apple... the Pride, the Pride bands. Yeah, there was a, a someone submitted us, um, an article on Nine to Five Mac. It looks like it was a sponsored thing on Nine to Five Mac, but it's still interesting to to mention. There's a company called Clockwork Synergy which is making these the nylon bands that are in the rainbow colors. And I wondered, Jason, if you would think about buying something like this. I'm still very hesitant of buying any bands 
that don't use the lugs from Apple. And from what I could see on their website, it doesn't look like that they have the official lugs. I have a couple of bands that use uh, knockoff yep. uh, watch band lugs. And Which is why I wondered if you would be interested in this because I know you have them. I'm just nervous of it, like of it slipping out or something. Yeah, Which I'm, is also I'm another intrigued. point. Where are the third-party bands made by the Made for iPhone program? There aren't any. Like, Apple has all the specs out. I haven't seen one. Well, you got to wonder if the issue there is concern about compatibility with a future I- Apple Watch model. Oh, or don't it, say that. I have so many bands. I, I know, I, and I hope that's not the case. Uh, but you also have to wonder if it's just the terms of that. You're buying the lugs from Apple. You're, li- you're, you're paying a licensing fee. It might just be not worth it. it might, they, the, they might be thinking, well, we're comp- competing with third-party bands that cost a half of what we're going to be able to charge for this, and so let's not even bother. That could be it. That could be it. Like, and you'd think maybe, I don't know, like the Hermes ones might be from that program. Well, Apple, you, I mean, the high-end, the high end, I, I feel like Apple's licensing program is more likely for some kind of high-end brand that wants to do its own Apple Watch band and doesn't have a deal directly with Apple. Yeah, because- I, think, I think there is one company, I can't remember the name, but I know I've seen uh, there is a fashion brand which is is teasing some and they look to be the official ones. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that there is someone doing it. But it's, as you say, a big brand right. that can charge larger prices. Because that's the value you get is is in doing that. Otherwise, you're a third party you know what's the what what's a third party band otherwise you're trying to go for undercutting apple on price i would think and i doubt if you're licensing yep. you're going to be able to do, that. do that so then how do you differentiate from all the apple stuff because by all accounts all the apple bands are incredibly high quality so you're not going to outdo them on quality probably unless you're some sort of brand that offers a, a, a you know a luxury brand experience of some kind and so i think that's the story is that it's it's cheaper and easier for these companies to get knockoff lugs and mm-hmm. sell them on ebay for for twenty dollars a, a shot or fifteen dollars a shot and i've got a couple and they're fine they're not yeah. great they're not as good quality as apple them. but they're but they're fine i know lots of people that have them and they say that they're fine uh but i have so many bands and a good choice of them I'm fine with it, but I, I'm just a little bit nervous of one day my watch just slipping off my wrist or whatever. Yeah, sure. That, that's what that's what kind of freaks me out. Uh, but it's there if you want it. Maybe you should get it, and you can you can say what you think of it. It's a fun. It's, it's a fun colors. idea. The six the six color uh, six color band. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile. I'm very excited about this sponsorship today. I'll tell you why in a minute. I've been using PDF Pen like a madman over the last few weeks. You can engage your PDF foo on every device with the PDF Pen family of products, which now includes PDF Pen for macOS. They have, Jason asked me to say macOS. This is in their copy now from Smile. Oh, yeah. We're, we're in the macOS era. We're going... Wait, is that Sierra? Mac OS Sierra? Mac OS Sierra. Sierra. Anyway, PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone and PDF Pen Scan Plus. They all make up together the PDF family, PDF Pen family of products. PDF Pen for Mac OS is the ultimate PDF editing tool, giving you total control of your documents. You'll be able to break the scanning, printing, signing, faxing cycle as you're able to go paperless. And when you're on the go, you'll have PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone right there with you, giving you that power whenever you need it, wherever you are. PDF Pen Scan Plus also adds scanning and OCR to your mobile toolkit. Access to OCR when you're away from your desk means that you'll be scanning your receipts with ease, and you'll be very thankful of this contacts time. Many people might know, but I'm going through the house buying process right now, which means lots of documents that need lots of signatures. 
I have been using PDF Pen on my iPad with the Apple Pencil to do all of this. Like even this morning before we came here, I had a document that I needed to sign for my broker and I just signed it on PDF Pen and emailed it to my girlfriend and she's going to be able to sign it on her end and then able to send it off back to our broker. It has been absolutely indispensable for me the last couple of weeks. I don't have a printer or a scanner at home. I would have needed to buy them to be able to do all of this without PDF Pen. So this has saved me hundreds of pounds just because I have this app which just costs just like a few quid. Like it's absolutely fantastic. PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone is universal. Just one purchase for both devices. And that support for the Apple Pencil, absolutely fantastic. Love it. PDF Pen 8 for macOS adds audio notes and file attachment supports. And it's running fantastically on the Mac OS Sierra Beta. <laughs> Go to smilesoftware.com slash upgrade right now to find out more about the PDF Pen family. Couldn't recommend this product enough. Thank you so much to Smile for supporting this show and Relay FM. I, honestly, I use it every single day. Because <laughs> if I'm not using it for the house stuff, I'm using it for contracts and stuff for Relay FM. We had to do Blows this. Me away. We had to do this. My wife uh, needed to fax, fax something, no way. and be, and it was involving my daughter and her um, her high school athletics activity, Oof. and so it was a report from a doctor, and I said, we can do this digitally. We could take a picture <laughs> of the document, yep. and bring it in and annotate it, and then send it back out, and it's like a fax, but it's actually from the 21st century and it would be clear you can actually read it imagine that we have another german report guys on fire yeah. german report <laughs> from the german desk uh this is all about the macbook pro line refresh so we're going to talk about that but before i have a question i'd like to pose for you so we're coming up on september we're coming up on the event we've had iphone rumors coming out from german we now have macbook stuff not only is there nothing from him but I can't think of, I can't recall, any credible sources, any credible reports about the Apple Watch 2. Nothing. What, what, what's happening here? Do you think that maybe the product is so small production-wise, it's not fully in the chain yet? I think it's possible. I think that they may... If there, if there is an Apple Watch 2, I've got, so there are a couple of possibilities. One rumor is that there is an Apple Watch 2 design as well as an update to the Apple Watch original. That there might be sort of, they'll keep the original around as the sport model with slightly upgraded internals, which is something I've expected all along. I I think I might have even talked about this when it was announced it, a couple of years ago. The idea that yeah. they might leave the external design the same. Why? Of course they will. Because, I mean, like, they're going to have the one that we have right now for sale for cheaper because that's right. the Apple way. Right. Every product line has this. Right. So they'll make it a little bit faster maybe. Maybe it has a little bit more memory, but it's basically the same Apple Watch as now. I don't think they're going to do that. It'll look exactly the same. Yeah, I think it's possible that they that they'd upgrade the internals a little bit but nothing nothing substantial and maybe not even talk about it but it might be slightly better slightly slight variation well but if you think that watch os3 is fast now they don't need to do it that's true i don't think they're going to do that so they keep that around as the sport model and they cut the price and then they start producing one that's got fancier features at higher price points i hope that if they do that though they don't just have aluminium versions of the watch 2 like that they like, that not just stainless steel, I mean, and they ah. also have the aluminium versions. Because mm-hmm. I personally don't like the stainless steel design for yeah. me. So we'll see what they do there. We'll but. see. So so my my theories are, one, it is so small or constrained, or they are, they are making an effort based on where they're making it to uh, keep the leaks out of the supply chain. Or it may not even be 
put in production yet that they're that they're leaving that to later and it's something that's not going to ship until october or november even right i think they really just want to get it out there for the holiday yeah. season which means they could even not ship it until early november and it would be just fine i think and so that's one theory and my and, other theory and that's is not a product that they need to worry about announcing early right so it's the osborne effect right that's yeah that's, where they kill the yeah apple watch one sales are trailing off right now anyway in anticipation of it speaking of which i'm gonna put a link in the show notes to a planet money episode about the osborne effect i i don't listen to planet money but adina does and it was on in the house the other day and it was absolutely fascinating to hear about osborne computers mm-hmm. and how they kind of just exploded it was really really interesting uh, so i'm gonna put that in there I'll, I'll find it i'm sure it's around here but uh yeah if you don't know what the osborne effect is go listen to that it's it's very smart i, I enjoyed it so they um my other theory is that there the apple watch 2 looks so much like the apple watch 1 that nobody can tell that it is <laughs> that it is literally an internals upgrade and that it may not look anything different on the outside or or so close in terms of maybe the the uh, metal enclosure, even if it does have GPS, even if it does have a, a camera, that that may be part of the uh, screen housing and not the metal enclosure, so that the places where most of these leaks come from in terms of like the enclosures wouldn't see it or wouldn't notice it. Hmm. Uh, it wouldn't shock me because, again... I feel like this brand new product, you got a bunch of early adopters. Maybe Apple doesn't want its next iteration of the Apple Watch to be that different from the one that's out there now. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, sure, ultimately they want it to be a thinner a thinner product. I'm not sure that this is the era yet of the Apple Watch where they can really make it thinner when they've got so much that they're trying to pack into that technology. I think I think it's small enough it's not a thin watch by any stretch of the imagination, but it's small enough that maybe they want to kind of let it ride and just do a smaller upgrade to to make it more more capable and, and sell more of them. Because honestly, I don't know. I'm not seeing a huge leap that they could that they could necessarily take with it. Um, I think the software, what we saw with watchOS 3, I think watchOS 3 is the biggest leap for, for the Apple Watch, honestly. Um but we'll, yeah. we'll we'll see. So that that's one theory is that it's so subtle that we may not notice, um, and the other theory is that it's yeah they're, they're hiding it away and it's not far enough along that we had any leaks. Um, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I feel like they're going to do something. I really want to see it just get a little bit thinner. That that's mainly all I want. I mean, what a lot of the rumors early on, well, a little while ago, is about putting a camera in the thing. I still don't understand the value of putting a camera in it. I don't think it would work. Uh, but we'll see. Anyway, so the government report about the MacBook Pro refresh. Slightly thinner, not tapered, smaller footprint. Slightly thinner. Not. I wanted lots thinner. Yeah. I wanted, like, towards MacBook thinner. So I talked about this with Gruber and uh, on the talk show last week. And um, I think the challenge here, I think we all wanted that, right? We all wanted, we wanted the MacBook and the MacBook Air to lead the way for the MacBook Pro, that they are more than those, more substantial than those computers, but still thinner, lighter, always, it's the Apple law, thinner and lighter. And I think the problem is that if you look at the MacBook, it's extreme, but what you're seeing there is cooling problems, power problems. It's under, it's so underpowered compared to like state of the art. And it's because of the quest to have it be thin and light. This is the MacBook Pro. They, it has to supply a minimum amount of performance. 
It just it has to. Otherwise, use the MacBook. Like if you want thin and light, use the MacBook. But the MacBook Pro has to have a base level of performance. They can't right. they can't not have a laptop in their line that's capable of top of the line uh, laptop performance. And I think that's what's behind this. Is just you know we can't make it this much smaller. Because, because we, then we can't pull the stuff inside. Then we of can't it. put an, you know an i seven in it. We can't use the full on Intel processors. We can't do the discrete graphics card that we need to in order to drive an external HD display. Let's say down the road, there's so many things that kind of fall off the feature list if um, if if this happens if they if they uh, if they take it below a certain point. So I feel like there is still a constraining factor, and they're they're trying to get it as light and thin as they can while still having it be a flagship laptop just but it is disappointing right because we all imagine a macbook pro that feels more like the macbook and it just may not be possible for them because the macbook is so i mean it it it, it, it's the cautionary tale of laptops right don't be like me um unless you want it i mean if you want it thin and light be like that but a pro laptop can't afford to do make that decision just quickly, it wasn't Planet Money. It was uh, Gimlet's eBay podcast, Open for Business. Oh. That was what it was on. So I'll put that in the show notes in case you're looking for it. It's worth listening to. Okay. Um, the reason I want it super thin and super light is my own selfish needs. Like What I'm looking for out of an Apple laptop now is the best possible laptop for traveling. Right. Because the only time I ever use a laptop now is when it's in my bag and I'm on a trip like this because I might need to use Logic on the go. So I'm looking for the smallest, thinnest, powerful computer. That that's that's my desire. So that's why I want it to be super light and super thin. I will take slightly thinner, but what I really want is a lot lighter. That's that's what I'm looking for. Well, and uh, just to be the uh, devil's advocate here, I suppose a little bit. You could argue that there is not a lot that you do. That a MacBook can't do, mm-hmm. like the MacBook, and you can build that with that i with that i well, i seven even I think this is what I thought. So my, my I was I was actually very close to buying a MacBook at WWDC because Gray was using one, like, and it was working for him. He was editing. We were looking at it together. Peer pressure is powerful, and I was I was holding a MacBook adorable in my hands. <laughs> And I was going to get it, but I thought to myself, we're so close from the MacBook Pro refresh. Yes. I need to see what that is. Because if it is super light and super thin, or light enough and thin enough, it will still have all the power that I need. So I'm just, for me personally, I'm just going to see what they do here and then think about my next upgrade. Like, I might not rush into it and just keep the MacBook Pro that I have for a while. But there are some things in this which are interesting to me. And the touchscreen tri- trip for the function keys... I think that could be kind of cool. So this is one of the things why I'm like umming and ahhing about what to do here. So from German's report, uh, the touchscreen strip will present functions on an as-needed basis that fit the current task or application. I'm not the first person to think this, but it it threw me right back to the original iPhone introduction. You know, no physical buttons, just a touchscreen, because then you can add the buttons, you can change the buttons, you can make the buttons whatever you need them to be, right? So it made me think of that. Like, I imagine having Logic open and being able to program in some shortcuts of the tools that I want to switch to, which would then make it even more interesting and more cool to use than my iMac for that function. So this is why I think this could be interesting, but I know that people like yourself 
who have been used to using these cue balls for a long time are a little bit more hesitant of keys being removed yeah. in the in the interest of adding this touchscreen strip. I'm, I'm skeptical about the touchscreen. Um, oh, I should say as my follow-up, yes, you can build to order a, an M7, which is the lightweight version of that. So you can power up that MacBook. And I would. A lot. Uh, it's possible. Um, the the touchscreen thing, again, Gruber and I touched on this too. Yep. Um, and he, he made the point of, do you, do you not look at your function keys? Because uh, I, I complained that if you have to do it not on feel, but you have to look at the screen, you have to look down. Um, I do... <laughs> touch type some of the the power you know the volume and the brightness right. i do i do that but uh my my concern is is it really going to be app specific stuff or is it mostly going to be system stuff and maybe there will be an option for some app specific stuff on there but i i feel like it's much more likely that it's mostly system shortcuts and maybe apps will be able to put the labels on the the equivalent of function keys. So, like, they'll say you can have access to F1 through F8, and and uh, as you do now. So you reckon that the volume and the brightness will always be there, right? Like, you, uh, my my expectation is it will take more taps. So there'll be like on the right hand side, you'll get like a little sun and a little volume thing, mm. and you'll tap that, and then it'll expand. And then you could change the volume so, or brightness. I don't know if this is going to be multi-touch or not, but my, my, I don't know if this is a prediction. If if I were at Apple, um, I would at least ask the people involved why why do we need discrete uh, key taps for volume and brightness? Could that not be if you put your finger anywhere on that strip and slide it up and down? It's brightness. And if you put two fingers down and slide it, it's volume. That'd be cool. That'd right? Be cool. And, and then you wouldn't be tapping that buttons. That completely at changes all. your requirement for having it from a touch typing perspective. Right. Because you're doing you're, it. You're doing gestures. You're doing gestures for the if most common controls for a put laptop. Gestures in that bar. It may as well have been another company that made it. Because gestures are Apple's thing. Right. So a multi touch bar. Uh, where where you don't have to because what I've been saying all it's really, along it's really smart, about actually. about volume and brightness is they're not fundamentally discrete key tap interfaces we we've repurposed keys to do them because we have keys on a keyboard right but they're not that they're a, they're all a continuum right they they all are sliders essentially and and so in the in the interface you have them as sliders but on your keyboard you have keys so you tap the keys but if they do this they don't need to be keys anymore they really can be you know imagine as a laptop user you're sitting in front of your laptop and you want it to be a little brighter or darker just being able to reach up to that strip and stick your finger down and then just slide until you're comfortable and then let go it's like that makes so much sense to I really me. Really like that. So I that's what I hope they do is that they, and then you don't need br- uh, brightness and volume controllers on that strip at because all because you have a better method of doing it. Right. Now. Like that's not like oh we've replaced it. That's better. Like that's just a better right. way of doing. Or this. alternately, you say if you slide on if it's not multi touch, you, you you slide the finger on the right side and it's volume, and on the left side it's brightness or something like that. But something that's gestural and not like tap 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 on this touch screen. Oh, I love I'd that. like that. And then th- my other theory is that you know to, how do you make this thing not a feature that only affects. Uh, macbook pro 2016 models is maybe the easy way is to just say look app developers you know put your shortcuts on f1 through f8 and then here's an api to do custom labels and on 
this model, the custom labels will show. And you get to name what F3 is. And put a little icon there. And put a little icon and all of that stuff. And on all the other systems, it's F3. It's just right there. The thing is, though, the MacBook Pro, if you're a Mac developer, that's got to be where the majority of your audience is anyway. Yeah, but like, it'll, it'll take years for... Yeah, I agree. But like a new API like and a new framework to work just with that bar that only works on the MacBook Pro. I don't think that's a bad decision. Like if you're a developer no. because there, there have got to be so many like do you have the basic level which is what you just said like you map the keys and you put little icons in but then there's also a like press and hold and drag and and like you know like there's another level you can sure. move to if you want to. Yeah, it depends. Because it I mean, would upset me if they put this bar in and all it did was just replace the keys. Yeah, I agree. Like, I want it to, like, with this idea of the brightness and volume, I want that sort of stuff, like, in logic, right? Like, yeah. that it can, can control some kind of volume in, or some kind of and that, slider or, you know. And that would sell you potentially on buying a MacBook Pro, which yeah. is one of the ideas here. And if it took off, maybe they would put that in all their other other products, too. Well, I hope that this would come, and it would be crazy if it didn't, to a keyboard, a new Magic Keyboard. Oh, sure. would have one of these in them. Sure. And it would be mega expensive like 250 bucks or something they would charge for it this but it would be really cool i i I would go so far as to say i feel like this is a this thing will be a failure if it doesn't extend to the rest of the mac product like like force touch or the force touch trackpad you gotta put it everywhere you gotta make it available everywhere if the force touch trackpad didn't come to the trackpad like the the magic trackpad right that would it would force touch would have been a failure because if you don't bring it to that external product it means it didn't work well enough in the laptop right so they i mean i would argue that it didn't doesn't work anywhere like as an extension <laughs> but like the 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 technology is good right that you can create this thing where it clicks and but that's effectively all it does for me like, and i don't know anyone that's using it differently all it is is like congratulations you removed the, the need for a spring yeah that's effectively all they did because i don't know anyone i'm sure people will contact me please do if you do it that uses the force touch trackpad gestures for anything um, like you've got all the stuff like to what is it like to seek in a video and but it's not used but it's cool technology and if what they did was it helped them make the laptops thinner then great you succeeded but as a new gesture interface the force touch stuff I don't think has really taken off in any way um, but the pro like the idea of it the technology works so that's what I'm saying like even if people don't really super adopt it. If it comes to the keyboard, you know the technology worked, and even from a base level, everyone's happy with it. But we'll see. Um, let's should we move on to some other things that this that this MacBook Pro is rumored to have. Sure, more powerful graphics chips. This is a line that I cannot get my head around in Germa's article. For expert users such as video gamers, I can't get my head around what this means. Like. For one thing, like that, that, the sentence just doesn't make any sense to me. Like expert users, such as video gamers, I don't think that those two terms are interchangeable. Like gamers are not expert users of computers, and expert users aren't necessarily gamers. But why are they pointing out the graphics chips work for games? This is not a thing on the Mac. Like Mac gaming, there are, there are lots and lots of hurdles. The biggest hurdle being that Apple have kind of terrible chips for games yeah i don't know why they would be promoting this as a thing right like why they're talking about this to german because they will talk about it on stage i expect and i can't understand why they're doing this in the macbook pro line like it's just this is just a thing that's very confusing to me 
And I really want to see more about what that means and what the chips actually are that they're going to be using. It's very, it's a very weird statement. Yeah, it sounds to me like this is a fact about they're using more powerful graphics in here and then attempting to, and we see this, we've seen this, I think, in a couple of his reports where there's then attempt to explain how it might be used. That's kind of a reach. Yeah, like this, there are so many hurdles about bringing this stuff, like games to the Mac. Um, it just seems like such a weird statement to make, but we'll see about that. Yeah. Uh, USB-C to be included. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this. I really want USB-C power for my laptop because I have one of those huge anchor batteries uh, that I bought on Prime Day. Mm. I have had like little Mophies, but I got like that huge anchor thing, which is basically like an anchor. It's massive. <laughs> uh, and that could power my laptop. Right. I want that. Yeah, I mean, USB-C power, the disadvantage is it doesn't have the, you know, magnet release stuff that MagSafe has. Uh, but one of the advantages is that it is no longer a connector that's licensed only by Apple mm-hmm. and that it, it, you now have any, you know, any USB power source will work with it. Um, I think one of the interesting questions about USB-C on the MacBook Pros is what what is the port configuration in general? Is it only... Um, is it only USB-C? Is it USB-C and uh, USB 3? Is there Thunderbolt? or And is it USB-C or is it Thunderbolt 3 USB-C? There are a lot of questions about this because we're in a port transition now. And I think the question is, is this one of those MacBook Pro releases whenever it comes that is a rip the Band-Aid off release where all the legacy ports just go away and you need adapters? Or is it more which I think would probably be the wisest path, is more of a transitional form where they've got some traditional USB on there and they've got the new USB. If they go USB-C only on the MacBook Pro, that would be crazy. Yeah, well, they, they w- there would be howls of protest, which is pri- probably yeah. why they're not, because pros have lots of USB things that they need to connect. This should be half the way through, right? So instead of having two regular usb things you have one usb one usb-c right so you're like slowly moving towards the usb-c standard and there's plenty of room for ports on the side of that thing yeah you know yeah i mean you could have i mean even if they gave me like one usb two usb-c like you know like don't take it away help move me along this line but removing all of the existing io for this would that would yeah that that would be although if you want usb-c power you're going to need more than one usb-c port Yes, (laughs) Yes, which is <laughs> what like two two on the side, like two USB on C on one side, one USB on the other, SD card, headphone jack. Well, and, and, <laughs> who knows? And and uh, well, there's a question about video, right? Because yep. right now video comes out as Mini DisplayPort, which is also Thunderbolt. Um, if you did, does have one Thunderbolt on it as well, probably. I I would imagine so, because you could also do Thunderbolt three through USB C, but then you're gonna, I mean. Apple will sell a bunch more adapters if they do that, right? Because you'll have to replace all your old Thunderbolt video adapters, mini display port with USB-C Thunderbolt 3 video adapters instead, yep. which, I mean, that's not beyond Apple to do that. But I, yeah, if I had to make a guess, it would be that they'd introduce this new connection type while leaving the old type there for, for one model year, basically. And then the next one would clear that stuff away. Yeah, we'll see. Um the, the I.O. is going to be a real hot topic on this machine. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with it. The headphone jack will be very interesting. I think if they remove it from the iPhone, 
they would probably take it off the MacBook just for the, just for the sake of it. But I don't know. I hope that they don't because of what I do. Mm-hmm. I don't want there to not be a headphone port on this because audio is my life. Right. Well, I think Mac, MacBook Pro. Also, you've got the argument that they don't. They've got space for a headphone jack. Yeah. And pros need latency-free, yep. not re-encoded audio out if they're I a video or audio be... editor. So on a pro, yeah. it, I feel like these are the last devices that Apple would make that would that would lose their headphone jack. Because I, th- I hope you're right. There's too many reasons why uh, pros need a, need wired audio. Yep. This is this is my realization. Is one I use headphones every day, but I don't use wired headphones on my iPhone every day. In fact, I very rarely do these days. But I use wired headphones every day on my Mac. So I'm very attached to wired headphones, <laughs> uh, but not in not not on uh, on my iPhone so much as on my Mac. My Mac is where it's important. Touch ID, excellent. Please, sure. It'd be you know there there aren't a lot of reasons why you'd need it on a Mac as much as an iPhone, but just for me, one password on my Mac. I hate typing the password in now. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's unlocking your Mac and doing Apple Pay and doing uh, one password and things like that and having the ability to do that without. I think uh, this stuff is starting to migrate to Apple Watches and yep. uh, and to iPhones connected to your Mac. But that's also a hack because your Mac is incapable of doing it itself. So this yeah, would be a start down that, that path. All of that stuff in Sierra is the fallback for when they implement Touch ID. Mm-hmm. So they implement Touch ID, and that is in Sierra. We just don't see it yet. Um, and then everybody that doesn't have the new MacBook Pro, which is the only model with a Touch ID in, they can do all of this new stuff exactly. by using the old devices. I think this is a really smart way of Apple doing this, like announcing the base level security stuff first, get people working to these new APIs, so then as soon as the Touch ID is there, it works immediately for everyone. It's a, it's an interesting way of staging up to that, when they usually do the reverse. Don't like you know, They announce the feature, and then everyone can work backwards from there, but instead they're doing it in the other way, which I quite like. Aren't likely to be debuted at the September event, is what Gurman says. Gurman sources are very good. But I just flat out disagree with this. I just think that he's got that he's got this wrong, and he's got and in the way it's phrased, it, it, it's possible that he's talking to somebody who's like, "Yeah, I don't think they're going to fit it in," yeah, and that's like, "Okay, that's well, that's one person's opinion at Apple." But yeah, I think it's, I, I I think it makes any sense when they took the time to to talk about the iPad Pro at the last one, they will take the time to talk about the MacBooks at this one. Yeah. La- also, let's remember last year's event was packed. Last year's event, there was no October event. There was no follow-on event. They they could do one. They could do a Mac event. Um, I felt like we were done with Town Hall, but um, I don't think it's going to happen. I, and, that, oh, and that's why, because, because I don't think they're going to do a Mac event at a special venue, um, and I I don't think they're going back to Town Hall. They could, and I don't think they want to unveil the Mac, a whole bunch of new Mac models with just briefings and press releases. Although they could do that, not this MacBook Pro. But but that's that's exactly it. So. So I think what I would say is, if you've got new MacBook Pros, if it is tied into those features in Sierra, you have to take some time at the September event to talk about Sierra. That is also the time that you talk about your new Macs yep. that are going to support all these great features in Sierra. And you do that all in once, all at once, and that is 20 or 30 minutes of your 
of your keynote, and that's fine. You've got two hours. It's a long time. Like this touch screen there no, There are no new iPads yep. this yep. time. Yep. Like you said. No, no you Apple use, TV. No, yeah, exactly. No new Apple TV, no new iPads. It's a it's new iPhone. How much time do you need to take on new iPhone and iOS 10? Well, so, especially when there really isn't going to be that much. Like, and this an Apple iPhone, Watch. And yeah, a new Apple, Apple Watch. But this iPhone is going to be more like the amount of time they probably give to an S because... Everything yeah. that we've seen suggests that it's going to be like an S release, and it's three. And to go back to WWDC, I feel like they're going to structure this as four platforms. So yeah. they're going to do an Apple TV update and say Apple TV is great. Look at all the apps, Olympics, yay! Okay, let's talk about Watch OS. Oh, look, oh, new watch. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Mac OS. Oh, hey, new Macs, and let's talk about I- iOS. Oh, look, new, new iPhone. iPhone. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Right, uh, yeah. structure it like that. Move through the product line. Uh, and and drop your i mean imagine if they just said like we have new macs coming phil schiller comes on stage and and says new macbook pros new mac pros you know new imac update uh you know these are shipping in october these are shipping in november goodbye everybody i i i I think it's perfectly reasonable for them to do it that way it's really funny to me because you and gruber were kind of referencing the new mac releases and you just did it then and both times you didn't mention the mac mini poor mac mini yeah, what well, chances that Mac Mini is going to get a stage call out seems like Paul almost non-existent, but it, it, it might happen. It will probably get a refresh, like the iMac will. Like, what's inside of it? It's yeah. not going to get a new body. Well, it's been two years. Oh, certainly not. But it's been two years. But I, I feel like yeah, every two or three years they will come in and just refresh the internals on the Mac Mini yeah, because the new processes. Look, if it didn't sell, they wouldn't keep making them. It does sell. It serves a purpose in the product line. Not every, not every product is your star. You, you, not every product needs to be your star. We, we had this discussion with the the iPhone SE. It's the same thing. It's like the iPhone SE is doing pretty well for Apple, but it's never going to be more than probably fifteen percent of the of the iPhone. Fifteen twenty percent of the iPhone sales through that's fine Mac mini holds down an important part or you know holds down a part it may yep. not be an important part of the Mac product line it's good that it exists and every two or three years they put in just enough effort to keep it on the price list iPad mini why are you mentioning mini <laughs> waiting until next year as well I mean I assume so they're not going to rev that product on its own but that's getting pretty long in the tooth no, now it's no the iPad mini got updated last year to match the iPad Air 2. Last September. Yeah. So it's been a year. Okay. okay. Um, and I, I feel like all the iPad stuff is moving to the moving to the, moving the spring. To and so if that's the case, then I feel like the uh, same thing. I feel like the iPad mini uh, is still going to kick around. It's got uses. I know people who love the mini because they are, like I used to be, somebody who, before I went to the other extreme of the iPad line, the yep. iPad mini... I loved because it was small. It was super pocketable. I still know people who feel that way. It's a great iPad for kids. Great. My son is an iPad mini user, and he loves it. It is perfect for him. He does not need a bigger iPad. So I think like the Mac mini, it'll just kick around. It's going to get updated every couple of years. It's ne- It allows them to sell a brand new iPad for, for on the cheap side. And I think I think it'll just keep going around. But it's never going to be... Uh, you know, there was that moment when it was released where there was like his, iPad mini hysteria, like this is going to be a huge, this might be the biggest iPad. And I think that's not, I think it's just a, uh, it's an edge case iPad. All right. So that's that. I mean, looking to see, I I think we're going to see it in September. I hope we do. I hope so. Um, so we're a few weeks away It doesn't have to ship least. in September. In fact, no. it almost certainly wouldn't. Do. Yeah, but later, but we should see it. Last week we spoke about pocket costs. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a new, another new podcast application for iOS come out this week, Castro 2. Um, you may remember Castro. It was a, a great little app, came out with iOS 7. Really beautiful, beautiful. design from Supertop. And they have gone and they've updated uh, Castro. Well, it's a brand new app, Castro 2. They've been working on it for a couple of years. Um, I'm really happy to see it out. Supertop are a great company. And I'm going to spend some time talking about it because it is very different and very interesting. Um, I'll also put a link in the show notes to uh, the Supertop podcast. They've created a podcast of their own talking about the development of this product. Um, and it was very interesting in the first applica- uh, first episode to hear them talking about uh, their kind of feelings coming up to launch and hearing the kind of the doubt and stuffing them. It was v- it was a very interesting like episode, like on the eve of a launch of your application, how you feel. Uh, so I'll put some mm-hmm. links in the show for their for their podcast. So let's talk about Castro. So the thing that makes Castro too different is the way the app is built to manage your podcast queue, and it does it in a way that no other application does it. And it has different methods of thinking about managing shows. And so the main thing is is that you have a list of all of the shows that you're subscribed to, all of the new episodes for those shows. You then triage them. So you tap on the show, you either archive it so you're not going to listen to it, or you add it to the top or bottom of your playing queue. That's how it works. So you effectively see all of your shows, you triage them, don't want to listen to this one, want to listen to this one next, I'll listen to this one later, and you just go through them all and decide what you want to do with every new show. And what this does is it's really good for people that have lots of shows that they subscribe to, and it's also really good for if you have a show that sometimes you might be interested in depending on the topic. So you can subscribe to it, it doesn't fill up your playing queue, but now you can choose if you want to listen to that episode or not. This is exactly how I am managing my podcasts Hmm. right now in Overcast. I subscribe to fundamentally massively more shows than I could ever listen to, but I pick and choose depending on topic for some shows. There are some shows I listen to every week. In Overcast, I have them bump up to the top of my list with the playlist preferences, and then the rest of them I'll pick and choose depending on what I want to listen to. But this is an application that is built around that, and Mm -hmm. as someone who, who looks at podcasts in the way that I do, Castro has been built for me. And I have to say... This is easily the very best way that I have seen for managing a large podcast queue. And it's now like my favorite paradigm for how you deal with this stuff. And I've got to say, like, just fundamentally, no matter what else we say, huge hats off to Supertop for coming up with something new. Podcast apps have been the same for 10 years and they have worked out a new way to manage yeah. that queue, which. Uh, and it was a thing that I didn't know I needed or wanted this until they showed it to me. And that's when design is great. Well, and I'm I'm somebody who uses Overcast with a single playlist. Same. That's how I do it. And that's my cue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Marco Arment, who does Overcast, did a, said a nice, had a nice tweet this week where he was, like, applauding this app because it does something new mm-hmm. and that, that he... You know, he really appreciates. As somebody who obviously sweats the details of podcast apps and has thought about this a lot, uh, this was. You know, I, I like that he was applauding a competitor, but it, it, he's absolutely right to do it because they are coming from, uh, like you said, it's it's good design. They're coming at it from a very opinionated 
point of view. They, they, they have a point of view. This is an app with a point of view, which is it's not a podcast app. It's a podcast app for you for managing your listening queue. And so it is best when you're somebody who wants to take control of what you listen to next, probably listens to a lot of podcasts, probably has opinions about which podcasts are higher priority and lower priority, and doesn't always listen to all the episodes of all the podcasts that yep. you subscribe yep. to. I think if any of that rings true to you, you need to look at Castro too, because that's the beauty of it is you subscribe to podcasts and all it does is pour them into your inbox. Yep. And then you sit in your inbox and go, want to listen to that next. I want to listen to that eventually. I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to listen to that. I, and, and you triage that inbox and you clear out the inbox. And at that point, your queue is filled up and it's filled up the way that you set it to be filled, which is the high priority ones are going to play next. The lower priority ones are at the bottom of the list. And the ones you archive, they never go in your list, which is one of the things about Overcast that does bother me is that sometimes I do I end up doing pruning in the playlist yep. uh, because... It adds every episode of, of a podcast, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to listen to that one. I don't want because there are there is nothing wrong. I say this about the incomparable all the time. There is nothing wrong with not listening to every episode of a podcast. Um, people do it. Some people are will listen to every episode from the beginning and will then re listen. And those people we love yeah. those people, but but some podcasts you don't feel that way about. And you're like you want to pick and choose. And Caster's really good at letting you pick and choose. There are different types of shows. Like if someone listens to Upgrade, it's weird. It would be weird for me if they pick and choose what episodes to listen to right because it is one kind of singular topic we talk about which tends to be apple focused technology so it runs through but with the incomparable if you don't like a movie no. or like have no interest and never seen it, then you pick and choose from. You know, in fact, I mean, incomparable yeah. by design almost is a pick and choose podcast because I don't, I don't. I didn't want to do one podcast about one topic. I wanted it to jump all over the place. Yep. As a result, when people are apologetic, when they say, I don't, oh, I don't listen to every episode of the, it's like, no, I, unless you're me, <laughs> I'm not surprised, right? I pick what I'm interested in. I expect everybody else to pick and choose and be like, yeah, this is about comics. I don't care about yep. that. I'm not going to listen to that one. Oh, this one's about Star Wars. I want to listen it's to that. It's the difference of topic-focused shows and news-focused shows. Yeah, but anyway, exactly. We're, we're digging in the weeds again. Exactly. Or, or, well, there are interview shows that, I, that I'll listen to, the interviews with people that I'm interested so in. So when I was doing Inquisitive, that was so true. People right? would just, if you weren't, had no interest in a person, then you just didn't listen to the, their episode. Like I used to get that all the time, and it's one of the problems of doing a show like that. It's difficult, because you don't know, actually know who's listening. You see the numbers, but the numbers aren't accurate. Anyway... So we, we're digging in. So some of my issues with Castro, uh, it doesn't support chapters, which which people people do like. It doesn't have a now playing screen per se with like show yeah. art and controls. The it's show got- art is like kind of sequestered to the bottom right in the little now playing bar. Yeah, there's but a little when bar. When you tap it, it just gives you playback stuff. Yeah, and it's got an animation of a waveform that's not a real waveform, and it doesn't. I, it doesn't make sense because the waves keep traveling from the the right, which is the end of the podcast, to the left. And I get what they're trying to do there, but it's like an infinite fake waveform. The goes. idea is, it's like it's easy to seek, so you can you can tap and drag to seek through the show. I mean, that's why they do it that way. I but. get I get that, but the animation is showing something that's not real. It's showing it because it's 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 the 
not to again we're down in the weeds here but like the left side is the start of the podcast and the right side is the end of the podcast but the waves keep streaming off the right edge of the of the podcast like they're coming from i don't even know where from beyond the end of the podcast which just as a metaphor it doesn't work for me i think that's a mistake and the fact that they're fake waves and the fact that there's beautiful show art that you can't see and instead the sleep timer and the you know one x two x they're given too much prominence in the in the app like there's no need to see those sliders so much yeah um you're saying it has a point of view which i really agree with kasha 2 has a point of view this is one of the points of view that I don't I, agree yeah, with. Yeah, I just disagree with it, which is fine. I mean, that's that they make other. That's why they make more than one flavor of ice cream, yeah. right? Is <laughs> that you can, like, you it can kind have of it. has two big points of view, which is yeah. how you manage your shows, and then the idea of the now playing screen, and, and which is essentially that it's not. It's important. too difficult to get to show notes for my for my liking. Right, you can get you to, have to them. Tap you, have, you have to tap tap like twice, and, and we I get are, their argument that on the lock screen you see the show art, yeah. and the controls, and that that and Honestly, they just use the lock screen. You don't. Need, I don't think people need to see the if the show art's not changing which they don't seem to support because they don't support chapters right. i don't know i like it you don't need to see I, the show art every single week it like, makes it makes me happy to see the show art and know, and, know, and know which show i'm listening to and it it's a reminder and sometimes see, they change the I art get enough and i enjoy of that it. in the bottom right like just seeing the tiny little icon that i recognize it but my, my feeling is that the description and all the show notes take too many taps to get yeah, to that's true and then the other thing that i'll just say is um the uh their their increased speed algorithm i don't know whether they put any work to, into it or if they're just using core audio but it sounds like they're just using core audio which means even at you know at every speed that's not 1x there yeah. are artifacts it sounds weird and and so they and, have no silence trimming yeah. like overcast they have no like and like pocket cast no no strip silence no not strip silence nor, smart nor they, speed yeah and nor are they making as far as I can tell, an effort to really smooth out the sound when you're re- playing at higher than one x and no volume boosting. And yeah. I was listening to the actually listening to the Super Top podcast in Castro, and it wasn't loud enough. Like the the, yeah. the levels were too quiet on the show. And I I'm used to now Overcast and Pocket Casts. They have audio boosting, which that's actually really good because. Th- Audio leveling is difficult to do. Lots of people get it right. Lots of people get it wrong. And it's nice when an application can kind of just give it a, give it a kick up and help you. Uh, especially because really, the iPhone doesn't go that loud. Like the maximum volume of the iPhone is sometimes yeah. not loud enough. Yeah. And applications that help boost the audio is good. So there's a couple of things. So the, for me, those for me, the inability to have it sound good at a higher than 1x speed is the deal breaker. That makes me not want to use That's this That's not app. my deal breaker, funnily enough. And I think that is the deal breaker for so many people is that it doesn't have any smart speed stuff. Uh, I could let that go. So looking at Pocket Cast and, and Overcast, for me, they're similar enough that it wasn't, like in my mind, why would I have switched? Like Pocket Cast is very nice and I like it a lot and it's great for cross-platform. But there wasn't a one feature that it has the overcast doesn't have and vice versa so for me it was just like wherever you fall in that is fine and if it's like what is your preferred design effectively yeah castro has the feature it has the feature that makes me want to move which is the way that you do this stuff right so it makes me want to switch because i love their main thinking about how you manage your podcast queue but it doesn't have an iPad app. That is my uh, deal breaker. 
There is no iPad application, and I am an outlier here in that these days I am mostly streaming shows and I'm mostly listening on my iPads because I'm at home when I'm listening to my podcasts the most. And the iPads have such fantastic speakers. I prefer to listen on those than on my iPhone. Way louder, sounds in, like incredible. All podcasts sound fantastic on the iPads with the four speakers. It has no iPad app. And because they have no apps on any other platform, they have no sync system. Right. So I can't even use the iPhone app on my iPad because I can't keep them in sync. Right. And I get why they don't have a sync system. Why do they need it if it's just an iPhone app? But I really want to see an iPad application to this because I absolutely love their thinking. And also, the design's great. It looks great. Have you tried the uh, dark and light mode switching gesture? Yeah. It's incredible like you just pull down from the two fingers but it follows you and the des- and the, the 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 art you can change the interface design like the color of the interface like all like as as you're moving your fingers up and down with the two two fingers it's incredible the, the, that's a nice touch i twitterific has that gesture but it doesn't it, it just, just it cross fades it, it just does like you do it once and it just switches on and off but this is it follows your fingers up and down it's fantastic it looks great i love it um, yeah, there are a lot of great things about it. One's kind of selfishy thing as a podcast producer. I think they really haven't done a good job with the directory at all. Yeah, and I've spoken to Oshin about this, and they were like, "I hope he doesn't mind me saying this." This was one thing that they just wanted to get out, and they're going to work on it later. But the directory, all it's doing is pulling from the iTunes top charts, which I hate that. I hate that. Yeah, I mean, I I I didn't want to go into that in the little article I wrote about it yesterday because. I'm a podcaster. It can come across as sour grapes, but I will say as a podcast listener, their charts are the most boring charts. Yeah. It is literally just, I mean, it's actually great if you're somebody who's never listened to a podcast yep. and want to know about what are the most popular podcasts. It's every podcast you've ever heard of that you could name it. If you're a podcast listener, you could write down 50 names and you would, and they would be the 50 that are in there because yep. it's, it's just the most obvious like ones. Overcast does a really good job like with the social recommendations and stuff like that pocket cast do a incredible job with their like curated mm-hmm. they have someone who picks the stuff i know and right? puts it in there and highlights it. i think that I, they do a bit in I, my opinion pocket cast does a better job than mm-hmm. apple does Sorry i feel like i feel like there's something and i think apple won't do this because apple would feel like they're making or breaking you know that one of the reasons apple takes a light touch with a lot of the things we do we were talking about this last night that um on not a podcast in in life not available on itunes yeah, only that, for members if that, you find that us in why the like apple is so with apple music apple is making these great decisions about like what music to highlight and building playlists and things like that and they do so so such a good job at that and yet on the app store they're afraid to play favorites and have a point of view and as a result app store features and recommendations are kind of boring um and i actually kind of wish they had more of a point of view like apple music does and uh with podcasts i feel like it's the same way it's like they feel they're so powerful that they don't want to play favorites too much they have features and and stuff like that i i feel like there's an opportunity for someone somehow to do something with podcasts probably needs to be in association with an app because i've thought about doing this and i don't have the time to do it but i wonder if there's somebody who could do a really good 
pick list mm-hmm. and a and a custom playlist of podcast episodes. And I, some people have tried it on blogs and stuff like that, but I just I wonder if there's something there because curated podcasting and curated podcast yeah. episodes is something that is going to happen and kind of needs to happen. And but it would it's really just not there work yet. for Castro because they do a better job than any app that I've seen of adding one episode of one show. Right. So like you can search in the list and when you go in on the directories that see they have all the underpinnings of a great directory just the face of it is not good because if you click into a show you can view every episode they show the first one and the last one you can expand them look at them all and then add that one individual show to your queue list at the top or bottom but you don't then subscribe to the show you just get that one episode like marco does this with overcast you end up with that show always living. Yeah, it's a in it's there. like a little phantom show that you're not subscribed to, but and it lives I don't in like the list. That. I agree with you. Um, so, uh, one of the reasons I knew this was happening is when I did my export to to Castro, I was subscribed to a bunch of just like, what is this? It's because like I added that one, one episode. Time. Yeah. But, so imagine a something that's kind of like the Castro inbox that is somebody's opinionated and have multiple ones of these available. Somebody's opinionated list of yep. podcast episodes that they think are worth listening to because as well one of the and then you graze through that and go yes it yes could really yes work with all the stuff that cash is doing because when you start so i let you star an episode you have a like a hall of fame basically in the application there is a here are all the episodes you've starred right so like marco does this with the recommend i yeah. would love to see all of the shows i've ever recommended and another thing i like in cash shows they have a history so you can click the history and see every show you ever listened to <laughs> and again it's like all this stuff is like they have built the underpinnings of a what I think if they continue going down this road, they're able to go cross platform eventually. I know this stuff is hard to do. It's hard. It's uh, yeah. They could be an I think sitting on the best app, but they've got to get there. They have a lot of work ahead of them. All, all, and all of these apps have have made their choices right. So none of them is none of them is perfect all of them have like castro has made these choices about what they want to be good at but then they're not on the ipad and they don't sync and they aren't cross-platform overcast marco has focused on audio stuff and he was miles ahead of everybody else by focusing on volume boost smart speed and his uh deconstructing his audio player so that when it plays at high speed it sounds listenable i never listen to podcasts at faster than one x before overcast because it sounded terrible to me. Just the, the the artifacts, not the not the speed of it. The artifacts made it sound terrible. And like listening to a crackling, like, and then and then Pocket uh, Cast basically built the 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 great feature set everywhere. Everywhere, that's their thing. Right? They have an incredible application on all platforms, including the web. Right, yeah. that is their thing. That's their thing. And, and they, no one, I don't think there will ever be another company that can touch them. So push push all of that stuff together. <laughs> And you've got the perfect podcast client, maybe. But instead, and that's why innovation, to take this all the way back around and, and, and wrap it up, um, that's why innovation in, in, is important. Um, I saw Marco Arment comment about this today. We like likened it to the Twitter UI playground thing that Gruber said way back when. And it's definitely true that you're seeing it in podcasts. And what Marco said was, this is what happens when you have open standards. When you have open standards like RSS for podcasts, you get different takes yep. on the interface for it instead of a single take from a single platform. 
platform vendor. And that's the beauty of the way that this is working is you can have Castro uh, with a completely different take on podcasting than Overcast and Pocket Cast. And I hope it continues. I mean, they, they yeah. experimented with a patronage model for Castro 1.5. This one is no in-app purchase. It's $5 to get it. Just go buy it and play with it. If you love podcasts, you should probably buy it and play with it because even if you decide not to keep using it, you will have supported the development of innovative podcast apps yep. and i think that that's good for all podcast listeners because i'll tell you pocket cast yeah. and overcast you will see and this is not i'm not saying anything negative about them this is how it works this is why podcast pocket cast has features that that were inspired by overcast pocket cast and overcast will have features inspired by castro at some point because you can't not look at that and go oh wow that's a really good and and even if it's not the same even if it just spurs uh, Russell and Marco and anybody else who's developing podcast apps just spurs them to think, how would I do that? What what problem are they solving and how would I solve that? That's good for all mm-hmm. the podcast apps. And the the more diversity of innovation and uh, and uh, applications of points of view onto something like like podcast apps or any other thing, it makes the whole um, uh, the whole ecosystem stronger. This week's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace gives you easy-to-use tools and templates. Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you. Easy to use your professional podcasters and templates. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. With Squarespace, you'll be able to put together a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level. No coding experience required because they give you beautiful templates that you can work from. They're all feature responsive design and they have state-of-the-art technology to help you drag and drop and make your site look and feel exactly how you want that state-of-the-art technology also will ensure security and stability you don't need to worry about doing security upgrades to your website squarespace take care of all of this for you they also have 24 7 support in case you have any help that you need they have a great commerce platform to allow you to sell stuff they have their cover page functionality to build great looking single page websites like landing pages maybe wedding pages i see a lot of like times people use this stuff for but then they also have things like allowing you to if you are a musician and you want to make a band page you can do that and you can have your all of your audio and they have like little audio players you can use if you're a restaurant you can very easily put like maps and stuff and embed all of this into squarespace it is so full featured you've got to try it out and their plans start at just eight dollars a month and if you sign up for a year you get a free domain name as well start a trial today of no credit card required and start building your own website straight away by going to squarespace.com then when you decide to sign up Make sure that you use the offer code UPGRADE. This will get you 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thank you to Squarespace for their continued support of UPGRADE love and that, all of RelayFM. Love that offer code. UPGRADE. It says it all. It's not like lasers or Mike was right or upgrade. anything like that. Just UPGRADE. UPGRADE. It's the way to go. So last week we spoke about um, some interviews that Apple were doing with the press and this there's more this week tim cook <laughs> did a much larger interview with the washington post yeah why are they doing these right now so i have i have three potential reasons mm-hmm. theories and i want to see what your thoughts on them are uh it's tim's five years as ceo yeah um 
it is the five year anniversary of Steve Jobs passing. Yep. And they're trying to steer the narrative post two bad earnings calls. Yeah. Do you think it's, I think it's a combination of all three of those things? I think that's exactly it. I think I think it's a slow news month, so they have a receptive audience in journalists. And nothing to give them. And nothing to give them. Um, prepping for, I think they're laying the groundwork for September because they want to get out their, uh, their own narrative, which is that Apple's just fine. Which, I mean, honestly, Apple is fine. <laughs> this is, it's interesting because they're trying to combat some of the kind of bearishness on Apple based on those results. Um, I think that's part of it. I think the five years of CEO is part of it. And, and, uh, and so it's, yes, I think it's all those things. I think, I think, I don't think Apple is super actively combating this Apple is doomed narrative because the Apple is doomed narrative has always been there and it's kind of dumb. Um, and it's always been dumb uh, since night, since jobs came back, it was doomed, uh, almost doomed in 97. But I mean, yep. it's been dumb, very dumb for a very long time. The, so I think it's all of those things. I think this is also Steve Dowling, the new head of PR at Apple, um, trying new stuff, like trying different stuff. This is this is something that if you're viewing this from a Katie Cotton perspective, not to get all insidery on you, but Katie Cotton was the head of all PR and marketing, uh, or you know, all PR and communications, working for working mm-hmm. directly for Steve. I think not even working for Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, and if she was working for Phil, she was still working directly for Steve. Let's be honest. Um, that's my understanding is that Katie really worked closely with Steve. Um, so Steve Dowling is now in charge and who was head, a head of corporate PR, which was more like handling uh, Steve Jobs and other executives um, and not the product PR. And he and Natalie Karras, who uh, was the head of product PR, both vied to get this job and Steve Dowling got it. Natalie Karras left, went to Twitter. She's now left Twitter. She's in now on a vacation in Italy, <laughs> which is good, good career move there too. Honestly, like take, take some time, um, go to Italy. That's beautiful. Uh, so, so Steve Dowling is now in charge and, um, I don't know, you're in charge of something like Apple PR and you've watched how it worked under Katie and with Steve jobs. And now you've got Tim and, uh, and an opening, you know, a feeling of, of, uh, let's try different things. Let's be different. Let's, we, we, we can grow and change. And you want to make your own mark. And we've seen it in how Apple does events. I mean, in so many different ways, Apple has thrown away their old rule book for dealing with the public and the press. So why not this stuff, right? Yeah. So I, I, I think if you were, to bring it back around, if you were looking at this under the Katie Cotton playbook, you would be like, oh, geez, what are they? All of this is super tactical. They are very specifically addressing certain things. Maybe they're trying to exact revenge on certain news organizations that they're not going to give this to. I mean, you could come up with a whole list of things that Apple used to do. I don't know if any of those are really accurate. I think this is a you know let's keep ourselves in the public eye we've got some we've got a quiet month to make some noise about how great we are we do want to offset some of the um the feelings about apple that are negative although again i think that was much more true after the previous quarterly earnings and not this most recent one because the stock actually did okay i think the narrative isn't as brutal for apple as it as it was three months ago um where people looked at that one report and the stock result and freaked out so I don't know. 
yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things. I'm much actually I'm much less interested in the Kremlinology of this than just in the fact that we got in the Washington Post story. We got some interesting bits from Tim. I mean, he's super super uh, on message. Um, yep. And yet, between this and the Fast Company story, I mean, there was there was good there was good stuff. I th- I think this Washington Post story was a better read than the. There was the more Fast information in this one. The Fast Company yeah. story was more like a little a little story that was being told. Fast like, Company we story didn't was like a, it too much, a better know? story for people who don't know a lot about Apple and want and wanted to get sort of some reassurance yeah. about like Apple's fine here's what it's like at Apple isn't this cool Washington Post story is which is funny because Fast Company is a business publication you'd expect that these would be reversed and the Washington Post would be the one um when I said reversed Mike and I both did a little hand gesture of flipping our fingers opposite direction it probably happens all the time but we can't see it when we're not in person (laughs) um washington post story is is much more nitty-gritty with uh tidbits about what apple's doing than the fast company story was so it's that fast company was more of a gloss and this is i mean down to the point where she she's got like four or five paragraphs and then it's just like here's the here's the q a and it just drops into a Q and a of like let's just here's what tim cook said pure like information yeah right so there isn't really anything new here, but no. it's interesting to hear Tim's words on something. It's all the color, the details. Yep, that's where that's where it gets interesting because all of this because they they're never going to say anything secret, right? All of this is about what they're emphasizing, what the details are, and how we can read that to make us understand what they're thinking. Like there was a bunch of stuff about tax reform. Which right. I found fascinating because Apple is in such a unique and weird position when it comes to taxes. They appear to be, and they say they are following the laws, but the laws are fundamentally weird and broken. Yeah, and they don't deny that, which I think is an interesting yeah. take. When he, when Cook testified before Congress, he, he, he said as much. And I think that's a really interesting take that Apple has. Yeah, says, We're taking advantage of the lo- legal loopholes that you have allowed to be created because of the bad corporation right. tax rules in america and you should probably fix them so i mean we'll that, bring our money back and that's part and that's part of their argument is we pay we pay billions of dollars in taxes i think they said we're the largest taxpayer in the united states which doesn't i mean that's logical because they make the most money right <laughs> right but it's like you know it, there is a feeling like the the big companies and rich people often are the ones who are best equipped to avoid paying tax and then everybody else pays the tax but apple saying no no we pay the tax and then again i like i like that tim cook is not just saying look do what you want if you change the, t- the rules we'll follow the new rules he's like no you should change the rules and one of those arguments is about repatriating money bringing that money back to the u.s from overseas um and their argument is we made that money overseas we could leave it overseas if you change the tax law to make it more reasonable for us to bring it home we can bring it home and spend it at home so his argument is um this is the this is essentially the quid pro quo which is if you change the tax law so it isn't ridiculously expensive for us to bring our money back then we'll bring the money back and when we bring the money here we spend it here so that's the benefit to the 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 united states is you may not get as much tax as you would if we brought it back but below a certain point we'll bring it back and above a certain point we're just never going to bring it back home so it's you know it's negotiating and all of that what i find really fascinating read between the lines and he said this before is there will be tax reform in 2017 and i get the sense that because we know he's politically well connected he did the fundraiser for paul ryan he's doing a fundraiser for hillary clinton 
I think Tim Cook has been told in Washington off the record by Democrats and Republicans that there's totally a deal that's going to be done here I don't even after think the that presidential way. election. I think Tim is telling the presidential candidates that there will be tax reform in 2017. <laughs> No, I think I I think he knows. I think Tim he's, Cook is one of the most powerful men in the world. I think he's heard from the. <laughs> I think when he went to Washington, he heard from the people in Washington that once this presidential election is over, they will you know no matter who wins, they will do something to address the tax stuff. It sounds like both parties. What he said is both parties are actually interested in fixing this messed up tax code stuff. Yeah. So, um, and then in Europe, it's. I don't know enough about the European policy stuff, but he painted that, and this may may, or may be disingenuous, or it may be completely legit. The way he portrayed that whole thing about the European Union and Ireland's tax code is, he said, look, they're not even arguing about how much tax we should pay. They're arguing about who gets the money. Yeah. So let them squabble about that, which I th- thought was an interesting take It seems on like, from, from reading that and the little I know about it, this is a problem between Ireland and the European Union, as yeah. opposed to Apple and the European Union. Right. But the European Union think that Ireland gave Apple a special deal, which Tim is denying. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I want to touch on a few other things that he mentioned. Social responsibility. This is, I've mentioned this before about how I believe Apple Incorporated to be a better company under Tim Cook than it was under Steve Jobs. Take out the products, all of that stuff, like just as a company, as a thing in the world, they do better. Their environmental stuff is better. He touches a lot on uh, coming out as being gay and talking about the importance of all of that. Mm -hmm. All of these things are Apple as a company and how they show themselves to the world. And I think Tim does an incredible job of that. Like, you know, things like the, the, they didn't mention this, but when he changed the employee contributions program for charities and stuff, like it didn't really exist before. And Tim did a lot of these things. And they talk about that. They talk about the billionth iPhone as well. And it's fun to me that the, throughout the interview, that iPhone is sitting on Tim's desk. What are they going to do with that? Does he keep that? They've like put like can put case in, it in something. They'll put that. They'll put that in the Apple Museum that they're building uh, on the new campus. Yeah, but right now it just sits on his desk. It's a paperweight. <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to. Re- and now I have like a bunch of quotes that I want to read because I just think they're interesting. Okay. So on earnings, we got $60 billion in revenue, and they said you can't grow any more from this. Well, last year we were $230 billion, And yes, we're coming down some this year. Every year isn't an up. I've heard it all before. In today's products, we have services, which over the last 12 months grew about $4 billion to over $23 billion. Next year, we said it's going to be a Fortune 100 company. So there's a couple of things here. I don't recall those numbers, $4 billion, $23 billion, like it, it, kind of putting them in that context is really interesting and i just love the 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 quote of like every year is an up you know i've heard this all before how candid he is and kind of just like flippant is very interesting to me that is a confident ceo in in the future of his company that like yeah it goes up and down but the thing was we went up 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 for longer than anybody else has now we're just going to be in the up and down period and i can get on board with that Right, like if he's thinking that way, it's like yeah. Now they're running like any company does, but they've established that their kind of regular position is monstrously higher than anybody else's. Right. They've got to that now, and now they're going to go up and down a bit. And it's repositioning as they're not an exponential growth company anymore. They were for five years or now four they're years, a regular and company. now they're a regular company that's growing. And not they're not. I think part of this, and and maybe one of the messages that they're trying to sell now in terms of the narrative is, look, 
as we know, as anyone who reads the Macalope knows, <laughs> people have been saying that Apple is one step away from doom for a decade now. Yep. It's always, those people always, they they never understood Apple. They've never understood Apple's customers. Now there are more Apple customers than ever before. They don't understand them. They figure at some point everybody's going to wake up from their days and they're going to stop buying Apple products. And finally, Apple will be exposed as a company that makes a product, no product that anyone actually wants or needs. Those people are deluded, but they have been continually deluded for decades and they will continue to be. So when Apple sales go down, in their mind, it fits the narrative that they want to believe more than any other, which is it will continue to go down until Apple is gone because Apple doesn't make sense to them and they don't know why anyone would buy their products. Now, um, what Apple's doing here is the counter narrative, which is, yeah, we're not going down. In fact, we're still going up. We just, you know, we're down over last year, but the trend is positive and we're fine. Yep. And the, the truth is, that's what that's that's where we are is apple's going to continue to have huge profits and okay growth but the smartphone exponential growth period is over and that's okay and so in some ways they just want to steady they want to just send the message things are good we're steady you know we steady the ship things are fine yeah we went down from last year but things are fine because the one narrative out there that i think they just want to combat is the Apple's going down. Like, Apple going down from last year is the start of a crash. And I think nobody legitimately believes that other than these kind of nutty people on the side who, um, you know, but still, I think I think it's worth saying because it's very easy for somebody not educated in Apple's business or this industry to hear something like that and think, oh, I hear Apple's really having, having problems. Yeah. And they're not. <laughs> they're not having problems. They're making billions and billions and billions of dollars every quarter. They could They could subsist on their cash hoard alone for a decade or two at their current rate of spend. So it's fine. On the iPad Pro, what we saw in this past quarter is that about half of the people who are buying one are using it at work. We have an enormous opportunity in enterprise. That is a repositioning of the iPad. Yeah. In a very interesting way. They've been they've been talking up their their IBM relationship and the yep. Fortune 500 relationship. Yep. I think I think what does what features I think it's, is it repositioning or is it that it's the only good news they've got? I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you feel that this product is working in the enterprise, what do you add to this product to make it work better in the enterprise? That's true. In terms of prioritizing where you take the product, I think that's absolutely true. And I wonder what that's going to look like over the next couple of years. I think that they've made their... Because, you know, in that Goma report as well, apparently Apple Research have nailed that it's a three-year cycle now. That's yeah. that's new information. Yeah, that was that was new. So that, that coupled with this, I wonder where that takes the iPad. Well, I think it's good news for anybody who uses the iPad to get work done. Because oh, even yeah. if we're not in enterprise, I feel like you know people like us who use the ipad to get work done more features that help business productivity on the ipad is good for you and me and anybody else who's like us so that's that's yeah i mean as it should be and they're there i mean i know he's he's always talking up his um fortune 500 and that's his world man and ibm and like all he of those even mentioned things. it like when he said about uh writing his op-ed about coming out and he said, I wanted to put it in a business publication because that's what I know. Yeah. And I love that because it was a kind of, where, where was it in, was it? It was Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Business Week. Weird place to put it. 
But it's like for him, it's like that's me. Well, he wanted the context of I'm a businessman first. Yeah. It was kind of uh, cool. I, I like that whole section yeah. where he's talking about that, talking about getting advice. He talks about where he gets advice from people. Um, and he's talking about like calling other CEOs, calling previous presidents. <laughs> it's like, I just wonder how those calls go. Because he says he doesn't even really know some of these people. It's like, hi, I'm CEO. You're CEO. Can we talk about Congress, please? Yeah, talk about your uh, humble brag, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, who, do you, who, do you call, who do you call for advice? He's like, well, you know, I called Warren Buffett. I called Bill Clinton. It's like, it's such a weird thing. But he talks about how it can be lonely to be CEO. I totally get that. Because everyone he works with, a lot of his friends work for him. Mm -hmm. And that must be a real weird feeling. And so he talks to these other CEOs. Strange. Well, when you're in charge... The biggest company you, in the world. You, well, regardless, a big company, small company, small division, whatever it is, like you have no peers at your in your group. Mm -hmm. So as a as the editorial director at IDG, right? I had no peers in my group. I had peers in my company who were like the head of sales and the head of HR and the head of development. Mm -hmm. I had a boss which Tim Cook doesn't have other than the board. Um but he was the CEO and he was you know the, the, those those CEOs were all from sales backgrounds anyway. So I had at the end, the last couple of years, I had a boss who was group editorial director uh, at IDG and he came from the enterprise side. And that was at least, that was actually kind of cool because I could talk to him about stuff and it was a little less lonely, to be honest. But when you're in that position where everybody in the group that you live in every day, the fishbowl you swim in every day, is somebody who works for you. It is. It is. It is. It puts you apart from them in some ways. You can't just throw around wacky ideas about ways to completely deconstruct your business because it directly affects them and they worry, oh crap, am I going to lose my job or whatever, right? It, it, is, it is an isolating position to be at the top of any little ecosystem, um, any little bubble. So, and if you're Tim, yeah, you're at Apple and you're the CEO and who are your who are your peers? And so, yeah, I think it's actually kind of great that he does have people he can reach out to, even if it is like, I'm going to get Warren Buffett on the phone here. But at least it's, you know, does he call up the, the CEO at IBM and talk to her about what's going on there? And uh, yeah, call Bill Clinton, see what's going on there. I don't know. But he, he's, he's right. I, I like it humanizes him. But also from a business perspective, yep. that is a relevant that is a relevant thing. It's like, who does he who does he talk to? Because in the end, he has to make those decisions. He can he can talk to Phil Schiller and he can talk to Craig Federighi and you know he can he can talk to all the people at Apple. But in the end, he has to make that de the decisions, and that's lonely too. Talking about Steve, um, there's some just really heavy emotional stuff. Uh, when I first took the job as CEO, I actually thought that Steve would be here for a long time. I'd really convinced myself, and though this sounds probably bizarre at this point, but I convinced myself that he would bounce because he always did. You can see that in the wording of, of the... I was looking at that note the other week, the Apple press release, where Steve basically says, I'm going to... The time has come for me to step back from this, but I'm going to be around as the chairman. And um, at the time, we were all like, oh boy, how sick is this guy? And then when he died, we're like, oh, you know, they must have known. But this actually explains why that language was that way, is that Steve was 
was getting sicker, but that the people at Apple and probably Steve felt or hoped that this would be another one. Because he obviously had had this before where he'd really kind of gone down and then bounced and gotten better. And they expected that he would bounce. Like he says, I convinced myself, I know it sounds bizarre, but I convinced myself he would bounce because he always did. They they felt like they were on a cycle where Steve would get sicker and they would work on it and he would get better. And they figured that would happen again. And in this case, it didn't happen. When you look at someone like him, um, you can see why people just considered he was superhuman. Yeah, how could you imagine? I mean, we think about that and, and didn't know him. How the people who work with him, his friends, Steve Jobs. Had, Steve had, Jobs doesn't die. Had to think yeah. Steve Jobs is never going to die. Like he will fight it. He will figure it out. He has all of the world's resources to figure this out. He's a tough guy. He's never going to succumb to this. And I, I'm sure that they told themselves that he was an original of a species. I never viewed that as my role to be steve i think i would have been a, it would i think it would have been a treacherous thing if i would have tried to do it yeah to try and be steve and yeah he could original of a species is ex- the like the best way i have ever heard steve jobs describe it because he was and anyone trying to be him never would have worked and and i think that that is like just the perfect way to describe that so at the uh at the i pod photo event at the california theater in san jose where uh where you two or at least bono and and edge performed they were um the how to dismantle an atomic bomb album was out that were promoting that with the u2 ipod and all of that and they performed and they performed a song from the new album and steve jobs introduced them and said this is my favorite song on that new album it's so great and that song was original of the species so this is a U2 reference that Tim is making here, whether he knows it or not, that that was, wow. that was a show that, or that was the song that Steve Jobs said, this is, this is the best. This is my, uh, and so when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's a, <laughs> that's, that's a U2 reference there that's happening. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's worded weirdly original of a species. Yeah. It probably is making, that's nice. That's, I hope that's, that's the, the reference. That's, that's gotta be, I mean, that's, I, I think how that phrase got, got to him was, cause I think when every time, I, every time I hear that song, I think. Uh, this is Steve Jobs' favorite song on that on that album, um, but yeah, I love the self awareness of Tim Cook here because yeah, get to that point, you're exalted, you're going to become the CEO of Apple. I suppose it's possible that you could go on an ego trip and think I'm going to try to be Steve Jobs, and it, it takes some discipline to recognize that you're not that guy and you're never going to be that guy, and you need to do something different. And you know, Tim, that, that's why Tim Cook was the right selection to be CEO is that he knew he couldn't be Steve, and who's going to follow Steve? It needs to be somebody who's not like steve right yep. if you anybody a scott's scott uh scott forstall who seemed to fancy himself like a mini steve or whether it's somebody from the outside an elon musk kind of character right people who are larry ellison people who are like sort of like steve jobs in a way nobody's like steve jobs but sort of like steve jobs um exactly the wrong person to lead apple after steve jobs just go the other way get somebody like tim who knows he's not steve He's going to surround himself with people to support him and do do you know the other parts of the job that he can't do it was it was a good thing and i'm glad to it's nice to see the the color we get from him here about how he knew that couldn't be his role last thing i want to touch on the fbi um there were just a bunch of quotes in here coming directly from tim yeah which were okay i'll read them (laughs) could we create a tool to unlock the phone after a few days we had determined yes we could 
are determined. No, they did it in a few days, right? Like, yeah. that's what he's saying. Then the question was, ethically, should we? We thought, you know, that depends on whether we could contain it or not. Other people were involved in this too, deep security experts and so forth. And it was apparent from those discussions that we couldn't be assured. It became clear that the trade-off, so to speak, was essentially putting hundreds of millions of people at risk for a phone that may or may not have anything on it. This is my favorite line. There are 200 plus other countries in the world. Zero of them had ever asked this. Wow. Yeah. What, like, an indictment of the FBI. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, it's it's not anything that they haven't argued before, but you're hearing it here in his own words when things have cooled down a little bit. Cutting words, right? Like, yeah. he, he can just, Tim Cook has a way of just, like, cutting straight to the core of what he says. Yeah, it's like the FBI thought that, unlike any other country in the world, the FBI thought that it was their right to demand that Apple engineer software to um, break its own security. And uh, he also yeah. said what you didn't quote there is, um, is we it probably didn't have anything on it. And in fact, we knew that it was extremely unlikely based on what else we knew that it had anything on yeah, it. Yeah, that, that what else we... Because I said about the point was like whether or not it had anything on it, but what else we knew? What did... That well, they is, may have know, known... They have may, may have known... It, it may be that they knew more that isn't widely known. My guess is that it's more that they knew that there was another iPhone that was the personal iPhone that had been wiped and that yeah. this one was a, this one was a different model that they hadn't seen a backup in a while. And I think that I think, they probably looked at the iCloud backup as well. And they were they were skeptical that, that it had yeah. anything in it, that they knew that this was a phone that was not used because they were using their personal phone for all yeah. of their My, my take on it is stuff. they'd worked with the FBI already to analyze an iCloud backup that was like a week old. Yeah. And they knew that there was it was extremely unlikely to end anything new was added within a week of that device, yeah. which is why it wasn't needed to be there. But just quick, like unpopular opinion as a, not a, an American, you know, you're saying about like the FBI feeling that they can just demand this. That is the view that the rest of the world has on America. Like that the American kind of idea with this stuff is just that you can ask and get anything. Yeah. Like from a political level. And like, this is showing that like the American law enforcement agency believed they could just ask for this and be given it. Mm-hmm. And I think, thankfully, Apple said no. Because we've touched on this a million times, but that affects me in the United Kingdom when it, it should have. Right? Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. It's not my country. So, yeah, I'm really pleased that they went the way that they did. But, yeah, fantastic interview. Um, really great insight and information coming from the man himself. I think they did a really, really good job of it. All right, we've been running along. Should we do a couple of quick ask upgrades before yeah. we finish out today's live and in-person episode? <laughs> Reed ask asked, upgrade. what do you do with your iPhone or Apple boxes? Do you keep them? Uh, Reed recently moved and had to get rid of some of them. I got rid of a bunch of mine a, a little while ago and I opened a cupboard a couple of days ago and found all my old iPhone boxes in it. <laughs> like I got rid of a bunch of other product boxes. When we move, I'm probably going to throw them out. But I have every single box of iPhone all the way through. I save the ones where I have them, um, especially the ones that are Apple. Anything I've got that's an Apple loaner, I have to keep those boxes around, and then I ship them back to Apple in the box. Um, the ones that are mine, I keep them until I get rid of the phone, and then I usually get rid of them, or I've had them for a year or two. Um, special ones I've saved, like I saved the original iPod box. I've got that. Um, 
but most of them I just sort of keep I keep it for a little while and then when I've decided that it's sort of been ridiculously long then I get rid of them. I don't it's more clutter. I'm not a I don't really want more clutter in my life and I find the I find the hardware much more compelling than the box. So um I, I know people who save the boxes forever. I know people who compulsively save all their product boxes because they often will resell them after a year or two and they want to do it in the original box because they feel it gives the product more value to sell it that way. Um, I don't. We also know people that will collect 13 different colors of iMac, which yeah. you can see yeah, behind me. Yeah, I can see right behind you now. Yeah, I just don't have... Honestly, my house isn't very big. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have a, I have a very small house with not a lot of storage space, and I, I'm not interested in renting a storage locker to keep Babel product boxes in, so <laughs> generally they don't last very long. And Nate asked, we get lots of flavors of this question. Uh, I'm not sure I'm a pro user, but I need a new iPad. Should I go for a 9.7-inch iPad Pro or hold out for the iPad Mini 5? And he says 128 gigabyte or bust. If you want 128 gigabyte, I don't know if you're ever going to get that in the mini. Not, not ever. I don't think you're going to get that in the mini for a while. Yeah. My feeling is the iPad mini 5 won't come out until next year, as we touched on this earlier. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I don't think it's going to get stuff like True maybe, Tone. Maybe, maybe spring 2018, honestly, yeah. until there's an iPad mini. I think mini. that if you want an iPad right now, you should probably get the 9.7-inch iPad Pro. I agree. Because it looks so good. The screen is so good. I'm looking at it right now in this room, and I can tell that the True Tone... Is going is doing what it does, and the screen looks so good. So I would recommend that. Yeah, I think so. All right, that wraps up this week's episode. As we mentioned, the show will play out this week with our trailer for our members episode. If you're not already a member, go to relay.fm slash membership, and you can sign up, and you can become a Relay FM member, and you'll get uh, all of our special member content that's coming out over the August and probably into early September, because we have a lot of it to do, uh, including the Cortex upgrade. Um, doesn't matter what membership level you choose, doesn't matter what shows or show you support, you'll still get the feed. Uh, you can choose anything. You can support everything. You can support upgrades. You support can support upgrade. anything you want. You can support clockwise. Uh, it doesn't matter. You'll get the feed and you'll get all the shows. So go check that out. Um, if you want to find our show notes for this week, you can go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 102. Thanks again to our sponsors, Smile and Squarespace. If you want to find Jason online, it's at sixcolors.com. And he's at Jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And we'll be back next week. Check out the other stuff we've got going on this week. Uh, we've got Connected later on in the week, a Relay FM Q&A, stuff like that. So uh, happy birthday to us. Are we going to high five? We're going to high five it now. out. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next time. Bye, everybody. I mean, my instinct is to just kill him. We have all six bullets. Mike wins. You have died. Game over. Ray, Mike, welcome to Six Gun Showdown. You're fresh out of the drunk tank. You're standing in the rundown shack. Look around. What's in this place? Is there a refrigerator? You are in the Old West. I don't know what a refrigerator <laughs> is. You see a broken bottle on the floor, a hook, a burlap sack you use as a bed. Tired and parched, you sit down to rest. A lizard runs over your foot, looks up at you, and says, Howdy, partner! Surely that can't be right. <laughs> Blackjack is faster on the draw and hurls his knife into your chest. You have died. Yep. Would you like to load the game?
Excellent. Yep. How long was that?